reading this morning from John chapter 8. If you're looking at the uh, Bibles in the pew in front of you, that's found on page 894. John chapter 8, verses 12 through 14. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. A few years ago, I was doing a personal study of world religions. What do other religious groups in the world believe and what do they teach? And as I was studying through the New Age philosophy, which is not new anymore, but it's, it's something that's been around for a while, one of the things that struck me was that people who believe in New Age believe that throughout history, there have been certain personalities, they call them avatars, that have come into the world and brought light and understanding to people. And so a New Age believer would say, for example, that perhaps Moses was an avatar. He was somebody who was just outstanding and illuminated people and shared with them some knowledge that he had that was unique from the universe. And then the New Age believer would say as well that somebody like Buddha brought light, and in fact, people who follow Buddha even today and his teachings, they, they claim that they have enlightenment and Confucius and people like that. And even New Age believers would say that Jesus was one of these avatars. And so throughout history, you had different people that have just come into the world and they've just brought a great deal of understanding and, and for the advancement of mankind and people can kind of progress on their way. You know, that concept, the idea of bringing light to people, it presupposes that the world is messed up. And it presupposes that we're walking and many of us living in darkness. It presupposes that all is not right. And that without some kind of illumination, without some kind of information, without some kind of enlightenment, there's no way we're ever going to find a better way. I like the idea that there have been people that have come into the world that have brought some of that, but you know, that's not really what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that there is one God and that he is a God of light. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. There's one God and he has one son. His name was Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus made an exclusive claim. He did not say, I am one of the many lights of the world that has come throughout history. He didn't say, I'm like Buddha, or I'm like Confucius, or I'm like, I'm like Moses. He didn't say those things. I've, I've come to do the same kind of work they've done. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And if you want to evaluate any religious group, it does not matter who they are, the first place we ought to go, if we're wise, is to ask the question, what does this religious group teach about Jesus Christ? 
Because when you listen to the words of Jesus and you look at the claims that are made about him, there is a lot that just cannot be reconciled with what many religious groups teach about him. Because he demands exclusivity. He demands loyalty. And he claims not to be one of the lights. He claims to be the light of the world. If you don't already have your Bible open to John chapter 8 verse 12, go ahead and do so now. John chapter 8 verse 12. Jesus was speaking to some Jewish people on this particular occasion And he says, I am the light of the world. And then he offers an invitation. He says, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall also have the light of life. Jesus came into a dark and a messed up world. And he came to be light to show us a better way. What do you personally believe about Jesus Christ? What do you believe about who he is? What do you believe about what he came to do? That's the question I would like for us to dwell upon for a few moments this morning. You know, when you think about the claims that Jesus made throughout the book of John itself, John is famous for doing things in sevens. And there are seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the gospel of John. Jesus says, for example... In John chapter 6, verse 48, I am the bread of life. What he's saying is, everybody who eats gets hungry again later. Everybody who eats is going to have to eat again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. As long as we live, we got to keep eating. But Jesus says, I am the bread of life. If someone comes to me and they eat me, he's talking about listening to his words and obeying his commandments. If they do that, they're going to find satisfaction and lasting joy because I'm the bread of life. He who eats of me shall never hunger. Jesus claims, John 8, 12, to be the light of the world. Not one of them, but the exclusive light of the world. Jesus claims to be, in John chapter 10, verse 9, the door. You want to find God. You want to have a relationship with him. Jesus is the door. There is no other. There's no door number two, no door number three. He is the way into a relationship with God, into the fold of the sheep who belong to God, Jesus alone. He makes some exclusive claims. By the way, He is blaspheming God, and he is extremely arrogant if these claims are not true. Think about it. Some human being comes along and says, I am the light of the world. What do you think about that guy? I mean, why would somebody make such a bold and arrogant claim? I've got information and wisdom and insight that you need. And if you listen to my wisdom and information and insight, and if you follow it, you're going to find that life is purposeful and significant what an arrogant claim to make if it's not true jesus says in john 10 verse 11 i am the good shepherd i am the shepherd of the sheep and people need to follow me and they need to listen to me because i can take them to good pastures and i can find places where they can find comfort and contentment and purpose and significance i'm the good shepherd I lay down my life for the sheep. 
Jesus claims in the book of John to be the resurrection and the life. He claims to be the one who can raise us up on the last day. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And he who lives and believes in me shall never die. John 11, verse 25, the resurrection and the life. He talked about victory over death in describing who he is. Jesus calls himself the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, verse 6. Again, no one comes to the Father but through me. What an arrogant, blasphemous thing to say if it's not true. Jesus did not preach that there are many different ways to God. He did not preach that there were many different avenues to enlightenment, that there were different, many different paths by which we can find things that are significant in this world. Jesus claimed to be the exclusive way to all that. And there's no way to reconcile the claims of Jesus with the claims of many, many religions that teach that there are all kinds of different ways that you can approach God and that you can be enlightened and that you can have the wisdom that you need to make good decisions in this world. Jesus claims to be the way, the truth, the life, no access to God except through him. And Jesus claimed in John 15 verse 5 to be the true vine. He said, I am the true vine and you, when you put your trust in me, you become the branches. And through me and through my strength, you find strength to bear fruit. John 15, verses 5 through 8. The power and the resources and the wealth and the blessings that are in Jesus, those things empower believers to continue to serve and to please God because he's the true vine. There is no other. You know, one of the things I think about frequently as a gospel preacher is this. What are people being converted to? What are people putting their trust in? When people respond to the gospel, are they responding to Jesus Christ as the true vine? Are they coming to him and saying, Jesus is going to be my source of resources. He's going to be the one in whom I put my trust. What are people being converted to? We can convert people to a lot of things that aren't Jesus if we're not careful. I am the way. I am the vine. I am the light of the world. Let's think about that statement in John chapter 8, verse 12. And looking at the exclusive claims that Jesus makes and looking at the very narrow way that Jesus describes in all of these statements, I want us to think for a few moments this morning about what it means in John 8, verse 12, that he says, I am the light of the world. I mean, on a practical level. For you and me, where the rubber meets the road, in my life and your life, what does it mean if Jesus is the light of my world? And what does it mean if he's the light of your world? Notice this, first of all. When Jesus is the light of your world, when he's the light of my world, when I make him the one who is shedding light on everything that's going on in my life, it's going to result in my following him because Jesus is in motion. He's going somewhere. He's leading me somewhere. And so if I'm going to be in the light, I've got to follow him. And that's what he says in John chapter 8, verse 12. Are you still looking at the passage? Look at John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. That's the declaration. He who follows me, there is an invitation. It involves a choice. 
Whoever follows me. Friends, I know there are many people that, that think that they are following Jesus, just kind of as a matter of fact. But Jesus says there is a choice involved. You've got to decide in your life. I'm turning away from other things. Years ago, I heard a wise man, this is my brother, a wise man say this. I'll admit he's wise sometimes. He said, you can never say yes to something without saying no to a lot of other things. Think about that. You can never say yes to something or someone without saying no to a lot of other things. And Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you got to say yes to me. But in doing that, you're going to have to say no to a lot of other things in your life. Whoever follows me, I'm the light of the world. There's blessings, there's light, there's wisdom. All those things are there. But you're going to have to say no to a lot of other things. Don't just assume or presume that you're following Jesus. Just because some preacher or some pastor told you that that was true, have you made a choice? Have you made a determination in your life? I'm going to follow him. Think about this. Following Jesus involves a challenge. Not just a choice, but a challenge. It's a challenging way of life. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19... The first thing Jesus did after he began preaching was to go and find disciples. And the first thing he said to them was this, follow me and I will make you into fishers of men. Fishers of men. If you follow me, I'm the light of the world, follow me and I'll turn you into something that you're not right now. I will turn you into a fisher of men. And in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, after his resurrection, he assembles his his disciples and he says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. There's a challenge involved in following Jesus. He's the light of the world. And if you're going to follow him and if I'm going to follow him, we want other people to come and follow the light of the world. There aren't many lights. There's one light, one bright and shining light. And we want to help people to find him. That's the challenge. Not only that, but as you think about following Jesus, the light of the world, there's a cost involved. Rich young ruler came to Jesus. He thought he had it all together. He had all the answers. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. You'll find treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And the rich young ruler walked away sorrowful because he had many possessions. Jesus warned us, you want to follow me? You want to say yes to me? You're going to have to say no to some other things. There's a cost involved. Count the cost. What does it mean if I decide that I'm going to follow the light of the world? It means I've got to let go of some things. It means that I've got to renounce myself and I've got to humble myself and I've got to come to him and say, you have the answers, I don't. There's a cost involved. Next, as you think about following Jesus, there's a commitment involved. It's not just a sporadic spasm of 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 activity and then nothing really changes there's commitment involved in following jesus in matthew chapter 8 verse 19 a fellow came to jesus and said this he said lord i will follow you wherever you go 
There have been millions of people through the years that have said similar things. Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. But it's one thing to say it. It's one thing to pronounce and profess, I'm going to follow Jesus. It's another thing altogether to be committed to actually doing it. I will follow you wherever you go. How do you know you're a disciple? How do you know that you're committed to Jesus? How do you know that that that's something that really characterizes you? I mean, we're talking about kind of ethereal things this morning in a little way, a little bit. The light of the world. That's that's hard to kind of put a, a fine point on. How do you know you're committed to him? John 8 31. Whoever abides in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, John 8 32. And the truth shall set you free. It's about abiding in the words of Jesus. It's about listening to what God is saying to you. And it's about putting that into practice, putting it into action, not delaying, not fussing, not fighting, not arguing. Yes, Lord, this is your commandment. This is what I'll do. Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. It's about listening steadily to God's word and applying it in your life. Commitment. Following Jesus, what's it all about? It's about conviction. It's about really deeply in our hearts, deep down in our souls, believing that Jesus is the light of the world. I don't have the way. If it's left up to me, I'm going to have good intentions, but it's going to make a mess of things. It's going to turn things the wrong way if it's up to me, because the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Jeremiah 10 verse 23. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death and destruction. Proverbs 14 verse 12. I have to have the conviction that Jesus is the light, that he's the one that's got the answers, not me. And I have to listen to him and believe at every step. If I'm doing things my way, I'm not really following the light. I'm not really doing what's right. And I'm going to make a mess of things. Conviction. And then there's a cross involved in following Jesus. Whoever would follow me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Matthew 16, verse 24. You see, to follow Jesus, the light of the world means that there is suffering involved. There's death involved. Death to self. Death to my ambitions. Death to my goals. Death to my plans. But the irony is that there's life to be found in that way of life. Because when we come to Jesus and we take up our cross and we follow him, we find the light. We find wisdom for true living. We find, best of all, a relationship with God himself. Take up your cross and follow me, Jesus says. He's the light. As you look at John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, He who follows me, and then what's the next phrase there in John 8, verse 12? He who follows me, what? Shall not walk in darkness. Now that's an interesting expression. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. There is no other. Whoever follows me, makes these choices, is not going to walk in darkness. The word walk is a lifestyle word. It has to do with the way I live. It has to do with the choices I make every day. And Jesus says, you and I, If we don't come to him, we're walking in darkness. And that's kind of difficult sometimes for us to process, to put a fine point on. 
So what I propose we do is take a little field trip here for just a moment. I want you to stop where you are in your Bibles, and I want you to turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. And I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, all the way down through the first part of chapter 5. What did Jesus mean when he says, if you follow me, you're not going to walk in darkness anymore? I mean, tell me practically what that means. Because my friends think I'm a pretty good guy. My family, they they think I'm a pretty good guy. And and you're saying I'm walking in darkness? You're saying that that the the choices I'm making, the decisions in in my life are are, are not, they're not light, they're darkness? Is Is that what Jesus is saying about me? I mean, most of the people around me think I'm pretty moral, pretty decent, pretty good. What does it mean to walk in darkness? Let's put a fine point on it. When you look at Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to look at verse 18. It's talking about the old way of living. It says, before we became Christians, we were like the Gentiles. Verse 18 of Ephesians 4, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. So he's saying these people, before they were enlightened, before they came to the light of the world, they were in darkness. And then I want you to jump down to Ephesians 5, verse 8. He's talking to Christians, but look at what he says in Ephesians 5, verse 8. He says, you Christians once were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, all the way down at least to chapter 5, verse 8, the subject under discussion is the difference between walking in light and walking in darkness. And what I love about this particular section of Scripture is it's a really practical section. Because he describes what darkness looks like. Are you ready? Notice this. Look at verse 25. What does it mean to walk in darkness? It means that I'm a liar. It means that I am deceitful. When I can get ahead by lying, when I can manage my reputation by lying, I'm going to do that. That's walking in darkness. Doesn't matter. Truth is not that important. Truth is not that consequential. If I can tell a lie and if I can get ahead, if I can deceive people to get what I want, that's okay. That's walking in darkness. Put away lying. Put away the darkness Jesus teaches us. And speak truth with one another. That's walking in the light. But notice it goes on in verses 26 and 27. He talks about how we handle our anger. Anger is not wrong in and of itself. It's what we do with our anger. And it's the reason for our anger that gets us into trouble. But it's especially in this passage what we do with our anger. How do you handle it? Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Why? Because that's walking in darkness. When I take my anger and my rage and my my frustrations and I just bury those and I don't deal with them and I don't process them and I don't turn them over to God and I don't speak to others in healthy ways about what's happening, when I don't do those things, I'm going to find myself walking in darkness. God says, don't do that with your anger. Be angry, but don't sin. Walking in darkness, look at verse 28. 
let those who stole steal no longer. Why? Because when I'm taking something from somebody else that they produced, that they made, I'm taking that, that they earned, that they bought for themselves, and I'm taking that and I'm appropriating it for myself without recompense, without remuneration, without any kind of payment, I am guilty of theft. And Jesus says that's walking in darkness. He who believes and follows me will not walk in darkness. Rather, he will work with his hands so that he may have something to give those who are in need, it says in verse 28. You see it? What does it mean to walk in darkness? It has to do with the way I speak. You see that in verse 29? You see how practical this is? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Why? Because when I'm speaking corruptly, whether it has to do with cursing and foul language or whether it has to do with gossip and slander and ungodly unhealthy criticism of others when i speak those ways malicious talk that is corrupt and that is dark and it brings more and more darkness into an already dark world that's what it's saying rather instead of doing that when you follow jesus let your speech be with grace that it may impart edification to those who hear it's the difference between darkness and light Look at the next pet verse, verses 30 through 32. What does it mean to walk in darkness? It means I have an unforgiving heart, a heart that is full of bitterness and anger and malice and evil speaking. You see that in verse 31? Rather than a heart that is forgiving and tender and kind in verse 32. How many people you know in this world that have unforgiving hearts who don't forget they don't forget the things that were done. They don't forget the wrongs and they don't forget the, the problems and they won't let go. That's walking in darkness and Jesus teaches us a better way. He says, rather than all these things characterizing your life, come to me. I'm the light of the world and you're going to walk in a different way. You're going to have a different perspective and a different outlook on things. By the way, it doesn't stop here. When you look at Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 through 5, he also deals with sexual immorality of all kinds. He deals with inappropriate speech. See that in verses 3 and 4? The way we talk about sex and sexual things. The way we speak about those things can be coarse and can be unfitting. They can be darkness. And the way we practice such things can be dark and wrong and evil as well. If we're following the light of the world, we're not walking in these things anymore. We're putting these things away and on purpose, we're turning to Jesus because he's the light of the world. And he shows us that whoever follows me, he makes a choice to do this and he's not going to walk in darkness anymore. This is not the way of those who follow the light. Go back to John chapter 8, verse 12 now, and watch this. There's a promise in John 8, verse 12. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You see it? Shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. It's about possessing something, something wonderful, something you can't get anywhere else. You cannot get what Jesus is promising from any other religious body, religious group. Only from what Jesus himself is offering and from the blessing of being a part of his people can you possess what Jesus is talking about. The light of life. 
You think about what Jesus offers people. He doesn't say that everything in our lives is going to be comfortable and convenient from now on. If we decide to follow him as the light of the world, that all of a sudden all of our decisions are going to be great and everything that happens is just going to be wonderful. He doesn't say that. But he says you'll have light in your life. You'll have wisdom and understanding and illumination in your life. How about this? Wisdom regarding salvation. If we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. It's about how we walk. Not only does the light of life involve salvation, but it involves what Jesus calls the abundant life. The abundant life. I come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. John 10, verse 10. That doesn't mean necessarily that there will be prosperity in a material way. What it does mean is that no matter where I am, I can go anywhere with my Lord Jesus Christ and I can do anything that he wants me to do because he leads me into a life of contentment and a life of humility and a life of satisfaction in who he is. That's the abundant life. Regardless of circumstances, regardless of what's going on around, we can rejoice in the Lord always. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. What does Jesus lead me into? A godly character. The light of life has to do with what's happening in my life and in your life. When you follow Jesus, and I'm talking about really following him, not just saying you are, but when you really determine that you're going to do what Jesus desires every day, you're going to put him first and you're going to follow his path and you're going to listen to his will and listen to his wisdom and let him be your light, your character is going to change. Who you are as a person is going to change. You're going to grow because the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience. Anybody need more of that? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Said another way, you're never going to get to a point where you've got all of those things to the degree that Jesus does. And so our character is going to grow and we're going to mature because we have the light of life. What does it mean that Jesus is the light of our lives? What does it mean that we possess that? It means that we have hope. It means that we can stare death in the face and we can say, death, you may have the victory, but... I know the resurrection and the life. And there's a promise and a guarantee because of what Jesus has done that death is not going to have a hold on us forever. John 11, verse 25. Having the light of life means that we possess Jesus himself. Jesus offers to be our very dearest friend. There's nobody else who ever died for you in the way that Jesus did for the reasons Jesus did. He died for you in order that you don't have to be apart from God for all of eternity. He died for you so that you can know God personally, that you could have a relationship with him. And he died for you so that you can come to Jesus and you can cast yourself and your sins upon him and you can have the light of life. There are not many ways to approach the God of heaven. There's just one. There are not many ways to be saved. There's just one. 
And my question for you this morning is, what's hindering you from turning your life over to Jesus, the light of the world? What's holding you back? Believe on him. Confess him. Repent of your sin. Be baptized for the remission of your sins. Saul of Tarsus was confronted with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and somebody came to him three days later with a message. He said in Acts 22, verses 16 through 18, why are you waiting, Saul of Tarsus? Arise and be baptized, washing away your sins. Maybe you need to make that commitment this morning. If you need to respond to heaven's invitation this morning, whether we can help you to be baptized or whether we can pray for you, heaven's invitation is yours. Let's stand and sing this song of encouragement.